Church, as we continue to worship, would you take your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of Exodus, specifically Exodus 33, then also Exodus chapter 34. Hey, church, would you join me in thanking our Clyde Choirs for leading us so beautifully this morning? did such a wonderful job. It was a joy to be able to watch you guys uh, lead us in worship and for us to be able to participate with all of our Clyde Choir members. I wonder, church, have you ever desperately wanted to see someone up close and personal? Have you ever desperately wanted to to be before someone and to maybe uh, meet them in person, maybe have a conversation with them? There's not a whole lot of examples of that in my own life as a parent. Uh, throughout the years, we've taken uh, Danielle and I, our boys, to different uh, sporting events. And oftentimes it is revolving athletes that our boys have been able to watch from a distance. And now we want to see them up close and personal. Big Cubs fans, first spring training game was yesterday. Not that we noticed, uh, you know, we, we love the Cubs. And every year we get to go, well, not every year, but many years we've gone to Chicago and watched them in person, go over to Atlanta, watch the Cubs play. Uh, when we go to these games, it never fails. We try to do a little bit of research to get there early to see where we might have a up-close personal encounter with one of the players that we watch, one of the players that the boys have a baseball card of. And so we've tried uh, every type of thing to get there and stand behind the home plate, uh, to stand behind home uh, dugout, to be able to get to this place, that place. We even wait afterwards in the back alley there where the players are leaving. And, and we've had some wonderful conversations with players. We'll, we'll see them as they're leaving and we'll say, hey, and they'll say, hey, and keep on walking by. You know, it's just real intimate conversations that have been life-changing for the players and for us also. So I have no up-close and personal stories that really to be able to share with you of these kind of close encounters with athletes that we've had. Uh, We wanted to, and many of you maybe could fill in those kinds of stories, but there is something about seeing someone, even even if you don't have a conversation with them, when when you are, uh, you know, can, can kind of touch them, there's something the word and the phrase is what you, you're starstruck. I mean, if there's a famous actress or famous actor and you happen to be in the same restaurant with that person, there's something just in the air. There's something that, that brings about an awe to be able to see someone in person that you see on television or in the movies. Famous athlete that all of a sudden you find yourself and you're stammering. You can't quite get your words out in that moment. Someone that you've seen from a distance and maybe uh, you, you have a, a lot of, of joy being able to watch. But in that moment, you can't quite get your words out. There's a, there's a sense where you're all struck to be up close and personal. I'm reminded of this because this can happen to us from a human perspective, but just imagine what is occurring in our passage that we read about in Exodus chapter 33, where Moses makes this audacious request to see God up close and personal. He he wants to see God in the fullness of his glory. He actually has this request that we read of in verse 18 and following. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, verse 20, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock 
and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord to us that reminds us of God's goodness revealed to us in his glory. This audacious request, this desire of Moses comes on the heels of this golden calf fiasco. And I'm not trying to be glib here, but the nature of the request is Moses saying, God, I need you to define this relationship. Where, where do we go? Uh, the Israelites have made this, this, this moment of spiritual adultery that forever is going to shape their destiny here. And Moses is wondering, are you going to abandon us in the wilderness? Are you gonna leave me with these people? I just remind you, God's initial fault that we read about and I preached about last week is in light of the golden calf fiasco there is to start over. It's a Genesis chapter six repetition. He says, I'm going to blot out these people as I did after the flood and I'm gonna start over. I did it in Genesis six with Noah and his family. I'm gonna do it with you, Moses. Moses intercedes. Moses intercedes and says, you didn't bring us out of Egypt to kill us in the wilderness here. God relents of his desire to consume them with his holiness and his wrath in that moment. And what we discover in this passage is here's Moses going back and forth saying, hey, how do we go forward after there's been a breach? How do we go forward after there's been such sin in the camp? And so what Moses is asking for is for the glory of God to descend. Now, this is not the first time that the glory of God has shown up in the story of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 16, God's glory descends and it descends as the Israelites are, are wandering in the wilderness and it is a pillar of cloud that is going to guide them. It is his glory. Exodus 34, or excuse me, Exodus 24, the glory of God descends upon Mount Sinai as God appears to Moses. And each of these are a reassurance and each of these are a promise that I'm going to guide you. And what Moses is saying is just as you did this, just as you did this before, will you do it now? It is Moses saying, I need the reassurance of your presence. I need to know that you've not left us in the wilderness. I need to know that you're with us. We don't even wanna go into the promised land. If you're not gonna be with us, you are what we need. In this breathtakingly beautiful passage, we read in verse 19 that God says yes and no. God says yes with caveats. He says, yes, I will show you my glory, but it will just be a glimpse. I will show you all of my, and I love this. I love this phrase. I'll show you all of my goodness. All of my goodness, you will be able to behold. I will show you and tell you of my name. And just pause there. And think of what, what is just all inspiring about this. Moses is able to behold the very goodness of God but he's not able to behold all of God. Verse 21, Moses is protected. He's put in the cleft of the rock. And God says, you will see my back, not my face, because why? If 
I show you all of my glory, you will be consumed. My holiness and the radiance of who I am will consume you as a person who is sinful. So I have to protect you. Now don't, don't get lost here. The Bible comes to us in analogical language. What I mean by that is, is there are times where we, we hear scripture through analogy. And so it's easy for us to, to hear face and back and we think we're talking about body parts, but God is spirit. And so what God is revealing is not the body parts of himself. He's revealing that he is shrouding parts of the fullness of his grandeur, lest Moses be consumed in his radiance. But we've got human parallels for this. I mean, we, can, we cannot behold certain things in its fullness. I mean, you can't look upon the sun unabated, uncovered, you can't stare into the rays of the sun and it is 92 million miles away. The most advanced astronaut in the world, the most advanced technological covering suit and shuttle makes a mission headed to the sun. You know, you know when they have to turn away? They've got to turn away from the sun 1.3 million miles away, lest they be consumed by the heat of the sun. So it is not surprising to us that, that Moses just can't stroll up into the presence of the fullness and the glory of God. Neither can you, neither can I. God protects Moses from himself through himself. It's really this beautifully ironic passage that Moses was protected from God by God himself. And if you're going to come into his presence, if I'm going to come into his presence, we also have to be protected from the holiness of God, lest it burn us and consume us. But there is a shield that allows us to enter into the presence of a holy God. And that shield has a name and that name is Jesus, the eternal son of God, who is the supreme embodiment of the goodness of God who walked upon this earth and has shown us once and for all what God is like, the goodness of God that is revealed in the teaching of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. We wonder, is God good? Yes, he is good. He loves you. He loves me so much that he would send the supreme embodiment of goodness, his son, to be our savior here. And so we can't stand before his presence without the shield of the righteousness that is not our doing. It's not our righteousness, but the righteousness that is imparted to us by faith, the righteousness that we receive when we trust Jesus as our savior and we're protected from the justice and the wrath and the holiness and the splendor. This awe-inspiring God, we have to be covered in the cleft. Notice in this passage that God's goodness is revealed in his glory, but this is not the only theme. In Exodus 33, he says, my goodness is going to pass by and I'm going to reveal to you my name. And we say, okay, hold on. What are we talking about? The name of God here. We've already had a conversation in the burning bush. I am who I am. We've already talked about God's name as being ever existent, self-sufficient God, but God is going to reveal more of his character in his name in Exodus chapter 34 and verses 4 and following, notice with me the word of the Lord. 
So Moses cuts two tablets of stone like the first. He rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. He took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord once again descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. What's the name of the Lord? Glad you asked. Verse six, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation of Moses. What's his response? He quickly bows his head to the earth and he adores God. He worships God. Now in this passage, we see the very revelation of who God is. God has not left us to look into the stars to figure out who he is. God has not left you to look inside of yourself to discern from, from creation and from a, a psychological introspection of who you are, who he is. That's not, God is a God who is not silent. He is a God who desires to tell you who he is. You know someone, you know someone intimately when you know their name and their name is an entry place to a relationship with them. You cannot have, no matter how friendly you are, you can't have this deep abiding relationship when the, the name of one another is elusive. I, I, I have not a relationship with someone that I might've I've met. I, I remember years ago, Years ago, uh, three years, four years old, I am, I have a, just a faint memory of this here, but, but it was, it, it, I was in Piccadilly in Memphis and guess who was in Piccadilly? Hulk Hogan was in Piccadilly and he came to our table and he talked to me. But he doesn't know me. He doesn't have a relationship with me. He doesn't know my name. I've had an encounter, but not a relationship. I was in the eighth grade. I was in the Galleria in Dallas. Some of my friends on a mission trip, a choir mission tour said, do you know who's in the Galleria? I said, who? Troy Aikman is getting his hair cut. And so me and some of our friends, we surrounded Troy Aikman and had a great conversation with him that he was, uh, he was bombarded by 13 year olds. And we said, can you sign this? And he said, yes. <laughs> and that was it. And he signed it. I don't have a relationship with him. We met him, we had an encounter, but there's no, there's no relationship. The infinite creator of the universe says, I want you to know my name. I know your names. I know every one of you that have ever been created and ever will be created. I know you by name because I am the creator God. But more than me just knowing your name, as we know famous people's names, whether it be a Hulk Hogan or a Troy Aikman, these people do not know our names, but the infinite creator of the universe knows you by name. 
and desires to have a relationship with you that is not a one-way relationship, but a two-way relationship of he extending his characteristics and attributes to you so that you can know him, behold him, and be faithful to him. Who is our God? Well, he's a God of second chances, is he not? Right before he tells us in Exodus chapter 34, verse six, who I am, what is he doing? He, he is publishing the second edition of the 10 commandments is what he's doing. Moses in, in sort of righteous indignation, Exodus chapter 32, he's coming down to the, to the camp from Mount Sinai. He sees the party that is going on. He throws the tablets. God has written the 10 commandments with his finger and he throws it down. Now, God could have said, Moses, 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 did you not learn that your temper gets you into trouble? Did you not learn back when when there was that murderous encounter that you had with that Egyptian overseer? You remember how that threw you into exile? Moses, 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 that's not what we hear. We see Moses giving a second chance, the second edition of the 10 commandments. And then it's then, then it's there that he says, let me, let me reveal to you who I am. First, we discover our God is a merciful and a gracious God. The Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious. That word merciful, do you see it in your copy of God's word? Uh, some of you have in your translation, not merciful, but you have compassionate. It is a word in the original Hebrew language that actually has it is, as its root womb. It is a maternal image is what it is. It is the image of a mother's undying love for her son or daughter. It is the image of God singing over a child to rock them to sleep. It is the image of a mom on her, on her knees as she's bandaging up a, a scrape after the bike accident. It's the image of a, of a mother who it gets up in, the, in the, the dark of the night on, on the cry of a, of a child who has woken and needs to be nursed or needs to be cared for. And, and in that moment, the, the mother embraces that child and holds him close. So it is that our father, our God, he loves us in this compassionate kind of way, in, in, this, in this deeply close and personal way. There's so many of us that our first default impression of God is not a God who embraces us, but a God who is utterly always disappointed with us. A God who is a a boss, who is always demanding, never pleased. A God who is a coach, who is always chiding us saying, you did okay, but you can always do better. But what we discover is we have a God who is merciful, who's compassionate, whose compassion is coupled with grace. Notice he also says that he is merciful and gracious. He doesn't have to be merciful to us. He doesn't have to be compassionate to us. He does this knowing we cannot repay him for what he has done. If you're out to eat this week and maybe you've got a business meeting or something like that, you've got some coworkers around you, The check comes, you go looking in your back pocket for your billfold there and you realize, oh, I've left my my wallet at home. And it's in that moment, maybe your coworker, maybe your friend says, hey, David, you're good, I got it, I'll pick it up. What's your instinctive response to say, hey, thanks so much, I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back. 
God, God doesn't show us his compassion. He doesn't show us his mercy waiting for us to say, hey God, I'll Venmo you to pay you back for what you've given me. Do you take PayPal? Because I, I want to I repay you. God knows that what we receive from him is purely of his grace. It is not that God is waiting for us to do our 10% and he'll do his 90%. It's not that God is saying to us, I'll show you my grace and I'll show you my mercy. If you can come 50% of the way, then I'll meet you halfway there. No, his grace is a reminder that he gives to us what we do not deserve. He comes to us 100% of the way to extend his love, to extend his compassion and mercy to us as sinners. This is God's favor to us. And when you feel discouraged in life, uh, when the shadows come in life, when your heart's lonely and, and you long for heaven, it's then that you remember that the Lord is compassionate. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's your constant friend. His eye is on the sparrow, so I'm sure that he watches over me. I hope you know that you can be sure that he watches over you. Our God is merciful and he's gracious. Our God is patient, he's loving, and he's faithful. Notice again in Exodus chapter 34, verse six, he's slow to anger, he's abounding, he overflows in the characteristic of steadfast love and faithfulness. And boy, if the Israelites needed to hear one attribute of God that would have been really, really good news to them, that is that God is patient, that he's slow to anger. They've been murmuring, they've been complaining, they've been rebelling in the wilderness ever since he brought them out of Egypt. And if you have the ears to hear and the eyes to see, when you follow their trajectory in the wilderness, you, you see your own steps. On, on our journey to the promised land of heaven, we can certainly complain about the conditions of the journey. We can certainly murmur. We can certainly find a whole lot to be displeased with, just like they can. And are you grateful that our God is not worn down with our ingratitude? He is not worn down by the complaints of his creation. You know, th this is just a part of being human. The, the most fortified person, the, the most uh, you know, full of self-worth person in this entire sanctuary we can get worn down. You can just get, could you imagine, let me just, just hypothetically, just imagine this. Imagine if your job at home, working at home from a distance is that you are a Southwest airline employee at the end of December, the beginning of January. You are the customer, you are one of the customer service reps. Could you imagine hanging up the phone and picking up the phone, hanging up the phone and picking up the phone, hanging up the phone and picking up the phone to hear every, what was a horrendous situation. I could imagine how difficult that would have been for a person working from home, working in, in the customer service center. And some of you know what that's like to be on the receiving end of people's uh, frustrations, and it can wear down you, but not God. Notice that God is unchanging, our God is abounding, and he's abounding in steadfast love. That word in the original language of Hebrew is hesed, it is an unfailing love. 
It is God's people knowing that, that God's way of leading us is that he is always faithful. He will never let you down. He'll never let me down. There are many things in life that is natural to feel anxiety about. There's many things in life that, that you might stay up at night and you in your flesh, you just worry about. There are many things in your life that you have question marks and that you're trying to move those question marks to periods. You want things to, to be certain. And I just want you to know if you are a child of the most high God, if you've trusted him as your savior, you just need to hear, there are a couple of things that you do not have to worry about. You will never have to worry if God's love will run out. God's love will never fail you. His love will never run dry. God's love is inexhaustible. He is faithful and reliable all the time. He's consistent all the time. You're not, I'm not. I mean, sometimes we say we're gonna do something and we forget to do it. Sometimes we say we're gonna do something and over the course of months or years, we change our mind about that. Over the course of time, we can say one thing and be on the receiving end of people that say one thing and they do not follow through with their word. That is not true, child of God. That is not true for how God treats you. He is patient, he's loving, and he is faithful. So Christian, can you look back and can you relish the truth that he's been faithful? He's been faithful to you in moments of fear through every pain and tear. There's a God who's been faithful to me when my strength is all gone, when my heart had no song, still in love, he's proved faithful to me. Every word he's promised is true. What I thought was impossible, I've seen my God do. You know why? Because he's been faithful, faithful to me. Do you know his faithfulness? Do you trust him even this morning? Our God is patient, loving, and faithful. Our God is merciful and gracious. And finally this morning, our God is forgiving and our God is just. Notice again in Exodus 34, verse six, going into verse seven, he's forgiven iniquity and transgression and sin by who, uh, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This characteristic of God is a God who forgives us. In the original language of the Hebrew here, that word forgiveness means that he, he lifts our sins off our shoulders. He, he carries them away. This is what God does with our sins. This is what God does with our guilt. Instead of our guilt and our sins weighing us down on our shoulders, we need to hear again and again and again that he carries it away. This is what Israel needed and this is what we need. Our wrongdoings, our iniquities, our rebellions through Jesus Christ, they've been lifted and my friend, they have been carried away. But it's not the end because what God does in this passage is he says, I'm gracious, I'm forgiving, I'm merciful, I'm patient, but he also says, I'm just. And this is a good reminder to the unrepentant that God is just, his attributes are not a buffet that we get to choose. You know, sometimes we think of God's attributes as a buffet line and we go through it and say, yeah, I'll take a little bit of his patience. I, you know, I've got a little bit of an allergy to the justice of God. Yeah, I would love his grace, but I'm really not in the mood for the wrath of God and the judgment of God. So we walk through scripture and oftentimes we pick and choose, pick and choose, pick and choose. And what we do is we create a God of our own making. 
But if we want to be obedient, if God's word is our authority, we have to hear that our God is not only forgiving, our God is not only loving, he's not only faithful, he's not only patient, but he's also a God of justice. And to the unrepentant, God is just. And he is just in his wrath that he extends to us as sinners. Now in this passage here, it mentions God's consequences and how they they go down from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. Now does this mean that the sin of a father is inevitable to a great, great grandchild? And the answer to that is of course, no, but the consequences of our sin, they do live on. It's like this rock of our decisions that we throw in the pond of our life. And they are ripples that go on beyond just our immediate family. And they go on to the names of people that we do not even know. Our decisions actually matter. But here in this passage, we see the reconciliation of God's justice and his love. And how is it reconciled? It's reconciled on the cross. God has poured out his justice and on the cross, he has poured out his majestic display of love. He was the just one and the justifier on the cross and God will judge and punish all of our sins. God will judge and punish all of our sins. And the question is this, either Jesus received your judgment on the cross or you will face God's just judgment on your own, which one will it be? Either either Jesus receives our judgment upon the cross or we will face God's just judgment on our own. Now notice as we come to the conclusion of this time together in God's word, what is is God like? Uh, We live in a day and age where so many people have an opinion of who God is. And you have no shortage, no shortage of people telling you, I'll tell you who God is. He's sort of like the force. I'm kind of talking Star Wars terms of, of a good side and a dark side. Sometimes people describe God as the celestial highway patrolman who's setting up speed traps to catch us in our wrongdoings here. Some people would say that God is the, the universe. Some people say, hey, I am God here. Others just throw up their hands and say, who could possibly know? And I would just want you to hear that God wants you to know who he is. That God wants to have a relationship with you. That the infinite creator of the universe loves you enough that he not only knows your name, but he wants you to know his name. That in his name, you meet a God who is forgiving and a God who is just. You meet a God who is patient and loving and faithful and merciful and my friends gracious. When we hear his name, we meet a God who is worthy of your adoration. We meet a God who is worthy of your allegiance. Let us pray.